Hey guys, welcome to the Diving Pod. I'm Brandon Lociavo, five-time national champion and member of Team USA. And I'm Heath Calhoun. And I'm Aaron Rooney. This podcast is brought to you by Sideline Scout. We know for a fact that Purdue over there uses a whole bunch of Sideline Scout equipment, which is where Brandon hails from. Um, we use this stuff all the time. Let's go over to sidelinescout.com, check out their poolside live package. That's their basic package. That's what I have. Uh, we use it every single day in the pool to keen, uh, keen in on those, those fine details. Just this week, we were working on some takeoff stuff, putting our hands behind our body mass on backs and reverses. And, you know, at that moment of takeoff, you can, you can clearly see once you pause the poolside live, hey, you got to get your hands up. You got to get your hands back a little bit further. Um, and, you know, every, every time we use that poolside live, it's very beneficial, very helpful. So, yeah, go over to sidelinescout.com, get yourself hooked up with the best in the business. Awesome. So jumping right in here, um, Brandon. So uh, the question we always start out with is kind of take us through your journey, how you got involved in the sport. Um, and then the question that a lot of our listeners have really wanted to hear more about is the recruiting process. What was that like for you, the trips you took, how it was decided, and uh, just kind of walk us through your journey, man. Yeah, so I started... Um, first in gymnastics. And so I was in gymnastics for a good 13 years. Um, with, uh, actually if you guys, the viewers, if you know who Sam McCulloch is, uh, I had the same coaches. Um, and so I was, I was there for a good 13 years. And on that 13th year, I was kind of jumping back and forth between diving. I just randomly, one of my teammates showed me uh, just a summer camp with Debbie McCormick with McCormick divers. And I was just like, yeah, I'll try it. Why not? Like uh, gymnastics was getting a little too intense for me. Uh, injuries were starting to like pull in. And so um, I kind of want to just try something different. Um, fun little key there is I had no idea I had to wear a speedo, which was quite depressing. Once I got into uh, the pool and they handed me one, I was actually pretty upset, but that's, that's always a wake up call for <laughs> yeah. the young men. That's for sure. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So um, yeah, I, I tried diving and that, that whole year I was kind of going back and forth between diving and gymnastics and eventually like just the, the atmosphere between diving, the people, how they treated you. Um, it was just, uh, it was, it felt better for me personally. And so I made the transition. And so I started diving at 13 with McCormick divers and, you know, story uh, goes on from there, but recruiting, recruiting is, I know that's changed dramatically now yeah. recruiting people like 14, 15 years old. I know I'm exaggerating a little bit, but it's just baffling. Um, so I was, I I'm an old man apparently. And so, uh, I was getting recruited my junior going into my senior year. Mm -hmm. And for me, I've, and this is what I always tell people is I never started out a good diver. I was not a good diver at all. I was hoping to make, uh, the finals at nationals if I was able to make nationals. So uh, if that gives people an idea of like just hard work and consistency that can get you a long way. Um, but I kind of finally started picking up and uh, figuring stuff out. This was when I was at Mission Viejo with Janet. Um, and so I kind of had a breakthrough year for me and that was at uh, Ohio State. We had, I think it was winter nationals. And funny enough, it was uh, like my first time really at the scene. I had my new big list. And so uh, it ended up being kind of like 
steal myself and Jordan Wendell. We're all kind of going after it. But uh, in the prelim, this again, like kind of this kid came out of nowhere. It was uh, me versus steal. And I actually was able to win in the prelim and the semifinal. And then, you know, young boy, I get into a final, I'm freaking out. And then so steel takes the hat as well-deserved. Um, and the, the funny story here about recruiting, what I'm getting to is one of my best friends was a best friend, uh, Joey Cefeli. He, uh, he was on the Purdue team and I just wanted to sit next to him. So I just grabbed the chair right next to him and sat down and, you know, perfect timing and just, you know, universe kind of put this in place, but, uh, uh, I took Adam's chair. And so he comes up, he's watched me dive after a prelim and a semi where I'm fighting his diver. And, you know, that's how the conversation started was just me, you know, just stealing his chair. And so um, that started my legit recruiting. Cause I, I already kind of, I didn't, the funny part is I've never heard of Purdue, nothing until I stole his chair. Um, <laughs> I was just a full blown California boy. And so that's all I knew was, USC and some of these other like West Coast schools, but never heard of Purdue. And so I started looking into schools and um, I looked at like Michigan, USC, uh, Texas, Miami, and Purdue. Um, and so I took most of those trips. But after the fourth trip, I was like, I, even at the first trip, I knew I wanted to go to Purdue. And so for me personally, it was what, what keys can I get out of the school? What key concepts and key characteristics do I like about the school? Let that be, you know, Adam as a coach. Um, but he, the, the part that I loved was he didn't seem like a coach more so like a father figure. And then the team was more of like laid back, relaxed. And then obviously Purdue is a great school. And I surprisingly enough wanted to get out of California. So I had all of these pieces kind of coming right, right into my hands. And so it was an easy choice for me. And so that was kind of my recruiting process was like accidentally meeting Adam. And then once I had these schools in front of me, like really, really trying to figure out what, what specific characteristics of the coach, the school and the team aligned with what I wanted. And I mean, it matched up pretty well for me. Other schools were very appealing and, and exciting, but just not enough to, to keep up with Purdue. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a ton of sense, you know, which, which honestly leads in really well, you know, what does, you know, once you get to Purdue as a freshman and you walk into that facility, what is that like to you to now be a part of that history and legacy? And this is before you even, you know, know you're going to be an Olympian. That's probably a goal of yours, I would imagine. But what did that mean to you as you developed as a young diver? Yeah. I mean, it was just exciting more so for me in the aspect of like, who am I chasing after? Um, obviously like a big one for me, uh, copying Matthew McConaughey here was I was, I was chasing my future. Self. Yeah. Um, that was, that was a big one for me, but also I didn't even have to chase that future self. I had steel, I had Badaya, and then I just had a great group of teammates on top of yeah. that. Um, and so, yeah, like, for some people it was intimidating, uh, more so for me, it was just really exciting. Um, yeah. especially coming into Purdue, um, but I was just exiting. And so I was just entering and if I could get the list, um, steel and I can do synchro. And so that was a huge drive for me. And so, uh, yeah, I wanted to, you know, give into the legacy that they had, but, um, for me personally, I, I 
I genuinely took it like almost day at a time because I had to do one step at a time. I had to, I mean, I came in with really bad knees. I even left with really Uh bad knees. Um, but you know, I just had to take it one day at a time, one, one new dive at a time. I had to learn back two and a half, two and a half after doing (laughs) double in forever. I skipped back two and a half, one and a half, which not the most recommended thing, but, um, (laughs) you know, so it's, it was, it was more so very exciting for me. And then playing into the, the legacy of Purdue was just like an honor. And it was just super fun to see what I could add to it. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I guess maybe one last question kind of on this topic is, you know, we've, we've been asked this from young athletes is how did you, or maybe how you saw other teammates deal with recruits or incoming freshmen that were there pushing you because as a college coach like adam's job is to not only develop his divers but recruit better kids than you which is saying a lot how did you deal with that how did you see your teammates any advice for our listeners on how to deal with younger athletes now coming in and competing with you right away yeah yeah that's that's a a fun question um there's a couple of different perspectives that you can kind of take there um, obviously two main paths. You have the kind of insecure egotistical route, which would say more the negative there. He's bringing in these divers. I'm afraid I'm going to lose my position. They're going to be better than me. They're going to get better than me. Uh, and then you kind of start breaking down and condensing into yourself, the more so selfish route mm-hmm. or in my mind, how I took it, which again, that's, that's human nature to fall yeah. back onto that. So that's not Absolutely. necessarily, it's the more negative side, but it, it happens to everyone, Absolutely. Um, even myself. <laughs> and then there's the positive side, which I learned over time, which was uh, bring in these great teammates. I want them to learn from me and I would love to learn from them because we both can grow. And yeah. I even look at this when it comes to any competition. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm hoping for you to be worse than me, for me to win, that's not a, that's not a real champion. Like yeah. I want to beat you at your best while I'm diving either my best or whatever. Yeah. Um, so in my mind, when it comes to looking at people coming in, um, welcome that because yeah. uh, the more, the more competition you have, the, the better you will become. And that was the one yeah. thing um, I loved, I loved about uh, competing against Dinsmore. Um, right one of my best friends again. And instead of us getting upset with each other and getting mad at each other that we're trying to go for, you know, these, these positions more. So we would like even have competitions within the competition before we walked up the 10, I'd nudge and we go 207B contest. Let's see who wins it. (laughs) And so it's, it's just a, uh, just reframing your mindset on when that person comes in, um, this is going to benefit not just me, but them. And then let's grow together because I want to be at the best and I want them to be at the best. And then I want to beat them at their best. Game yeah, on. absolutely. Love, sure. it. Love it. That's perfect. Yeah, yeah that's, that's awesome. Uh, going, going back a little bit, you mentioned, um, Adam, to you being more of a fa- father figure coach type of deal. That brought me back and more of just a comment than anything. Uh, David Badaya's book, Greater Than Gold. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. But there's a lot of talk about Adam in that book and how he, you know, essentially helped in more than just the diving arena for David. Uh, I won't give anything away, but it's it's a phenomenal read. Um, and obviously, some one person in our sport that's that's just absolutely massive. It's cool to hear 
the uh, the ins and outs of what was going on um, when he was winning the gold medal. So um, next one I have here though is Purdue is kind of the gold standard for platform, at least it is now, and you have helped develop that gold standard. Hearing the recruiting process uh, I have on here was that always your goal, but again, you you said you had never even heard of Purdue. So my question I guess here is when you did get to Purdue and you realize kind of, wow, this is the place where, you know, a lot of the top tower divers go. How, how did you stay hungry after you got to that kind of mountaintop on the platform scale? Yeah. I mean, if you look at it though, like what is the top? Um, and so it's kind of like, what, what are you defining as the top? And so when I walked in, it's like, sure eventually I was able to get to those higher positions, but then you start to look at uh, international and you're like, well, I'm not even close. And then <laughs> even if you were to, let's say you were winning in inter international meets, then it's like, well, then like, how am I comparing historically to, to scores? And so there's always, there's always another step up. And then again, like if you're doing that well, which I, I haven't, but like, if you're doing that well, um, then why aren't you trying to chase breaking records and always pushing yourself? And so there's, depending on, again, your perspective, uh, there's always going to be another step, another piece to chase. And so um, you can get comfortable, but um, one thing that breaks comfortability is being humbled aggressively um, at any competition. Um, let that be by yourself. Uh, a big one that I always tell people that come here and uh, anyone that speaks to me and asks, but like uh, the, the most impactful competitions for me that pushed me to a next level is when I completely crumpled. And so you have, you have two decisions there. You can either cry and fall back to that ego or uh, that this shouldn't have happened to me. I'm going to blame external factors, or you can, you know, look back at what can I, what could I have done better? And so I always bring up the story of my, my junior year at NCAAs. Um, people are walking up to me like, oh, like we're rooting for you to win. This is me. Like, this is your year. Yeah. And then I walk there and I don't even make uh, a B console. I get like 19th. Um, and I completely crumbled because we, uh, a, a, a plethora of issues that I was having mentally, tech, technically, you name it. And so, you know, trying to reframe and rebuild, boom, you start to, to really like take off. And so, you can use a, a bunch of different scenarios to, to shoot yourself forward and be hungry, especially if you just look back and build off of what you've done. Yeah, that's okay. This is incredible. Yeah. So one of you'll, you'll hear the question later about failure, not treating it as a bad thing. You, I mean, you have that fight or flight essentially, and it seems like every single ounce of you is, nope, we're going to fight. We're going to figure it out. We're not going to run away from this challenge. We're going right at it. And I love that. Yeah. I mean, at, at, at some point, if you want to get to the goals and the, the levels that you set, especially if they're like, I always, I would always call them like pipe dreams. Like I'm just going to set them up. When I started diving, I remember watching the Olympics and I was like, to be an Olympic final would be nuts. I'm nowhere even close to these junior divers that are making junior worlds. Like, again, I was, I was trying to make uh, nationals. Like that's where I was at. And so, you know, that's most of our country. I was right there with you. And so, you know, if you really look at it, let me set this pipe dream, 
And then I'm really going to have to retroactively look at what I'm doing consistently to build. And what you do the most, if you really think about it, is you fail on a daily basis. So you can either use that as like rocket fuel to shoot you forward, or you can cry, moan, and complain and pull yourself down and sink to the bottom of the pool. And so one thing that I really liked about um, my training and my journey over time was learning that lesson and then eventually being able to use that consistently to grow. I, I, uh, I'm like, kind of, I keep laughing and it's like a good thing. The reason why I'm laughing is because you're saying all the things that I think a lot of coaches wish they could say to their athletes, but it's almost a little harsh at times. Like hearing you say, like, you can go whine and cry and sink to the bottom of the pool. Like, I think if I would say that to some of my athletes, they would probably whine and cry and sink to the bottom of the pool. But have you always, like, I keep hearing you use like reframe, rebuild, reframe, rebuild. Like, have you always had this mindset and like, where do you attribute this from? Like, it's such a great mindset for not just athletics, but life in general. Yeah. I, I wish I had this mindset all the time, but (laughs) it's uh, I think it's a learned, it's a learned uh, trait that you can build like every, everything and this is something I, I don't like hearing is, you know, that's just who you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't buy it. I think anyone can change and especially perspective, daily habits, habits in general. Um, I learned it by failing. And so at some point when you fail enough, you hit those two roads. I can either sit here and complain and cry, or I can try the, the new perspective and change and so you have to look back at some point to build. Um, I mean, you can't build a car, have it fall apart and, you know, just cry and whine. Like at some point you're gonna have to look at your blueprints and re go over it. And then let's bring it back over and try to rebuild it. And so um, it took me a long time to, to get that though. I mean, it's, that was long enough to where this is even middle of my journey at Purdue. Um, and I, I, I give a lot of credit and I give most credit to, to Adam. And then my other key factor here was, was Brad Foltz, our, our sports psychologist. Um, and that's what a lot of people need to recognize. A lot of athletes need to recognize is the, the strongest tool that you could have is your mind to build your body up. It's easy. It's very easy. It's just consistency to get technique consistency. Again, to build your mind, that takes hard work and it's never going to be consistent. You're going to go through ups and downs. You're going to go through very hard times. Let that be inside the pool or outside of the pool. So you're consistently facing a lot of factors. Not to say that you don't face that with your body, but the mind is is kind of that, that hidden little killer that you usually have that you will usually try to fix it at the end. And so if you can recognize that earlier, oof, I mean, again, that's, that's a head up on top of most people. And you even see that nationally. You would think that these guys are locked and loaded. Some of them are unbelievable with their talent, but the one thing they're missing is, is the mind. And that's like that, the, uh, the 1%, those 1% guys, when they walk up there, uh, and I, I think, and people can fight me on this if, if they want, I think the Chinese have zero mental game. Um, and the reason why I say that is because they're they're completely mechanical um, right. and both work. Clearly both work. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. 
at some point you will do so many reps. They compete so much that there's, there's no thinking involved. It's just when they walk up to 10 meter, it's a mechanical rep. It just happens. It, it, they do it because they put in so much volume. Yes. That probably destroys 98% of their divers, but the, the 2% that get out, most of them are gold medalists. And yeah. You clearly see that, but for the rest of the field, you don't have that because they don't have that many divers. They don't have the infrastructure and they don't have, you know, a government pumping out, you know, all of those, those divers into the system. And so then you look at, okay, so then that, that top 1%, it's straight mental. They're all super, everyone's super strong. Everyone's just as strong as the next person. Most of them, sure. There's like a few that just spin psychotically fast, but what can you do when you face adversity on that high stage? So yeah. again, I, I said this at Olympic trials, it's a one dive competition, 18 times. Yeah. And I told them again, the trials was a warm up. The Olympics, I, it was the exact same thing. It was an, it, and you watched it with these incredible divers that should have made the final that didn't because there was all this pressure and they missed the dive and you would just see them completely crash and crumble. And so diving is a game of consistency people hate yeah. to hear right as you get into the final go nuts go for hits but yeah. until that point and this is why i tell people you could be at a junior nationals you could be at an olympic final consistency will always be key until you're in that final and yep. even within the final what do you think consistency would do for you yep. um and so mentality is <laughs> everything yeah. You're, you're so spot. I tell our athletes all the time. Like we, we still do 11 dive competitions in division two. And I'm like, guys, like someone's going to, everybody's going to miss a dive. And the person who doesn't is probably the person who wins. Like consistency is key. So it's that awesome. So, you know, moving forward here, you know, 2021, you had the Tokyo Olympics. You've had what, almost a full year now to kind of, what have you been up to over the last year? Where are you now? And what does the future look like for you? Yeah, so I I almost want to step back a little bit further. And so I I started with I've had patellar tendonitis for the past six years. Uh, just to give you an idea of what my training would look like, I would only be able to do one to two reps of inward on Monday, and then I'd be able to do one, usually one rep of fronts on Friday. That was for about five to six years straight. Wow, that was my training. And what? By lead ups, I'm getting one lead up and going straight to 10. Sometimes I would go straight to 10 because <laughs> I, just, I didn't, I didn't have the reps in my knees. And you, you saw some competitions, a good amount for uh, about like two, three years that I was wearing those knee straps. Mm -hmm. um, I was able to kind of get away from them. I just hated those things so much. Um, and so, you know, I had this, I've been dealing with this issue forever um, until I finally was able to actually fix it with proper training, which again, like took a lot of analysis. And again, just like, uh, co like competitions, practice, training, diving, you have to look back at the steps that you've done and reanalyze and try to fix those pieces. And again, so the, the, the positive here, as much as it sucked going through those six years, I genuinely feel like if you gave me anyone with knee issues, I could fix them right now. Period. Oh, man. Um, and so that's what I'm trying to do here at Purdue. Um, at some point, I'm working on getting my CSCS. Um, and I would love to do it for USA Diving in general is to kind of come in and make sure I can 
look over not just knee pain, but, but, you know, most of our injuries is what shoulders, wrist, lower back, knees. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's about the main ones. And so if we can kind of guide people in the right way, it's not shots, it's not surgeries, it's not drugs. Um, it's proper training. Um, and I sadly had to go through a lot of af- athletic trainers, strength coaches, and sadly enough, doctors shooting me up with a bunch of crap and giving me drugs that did absolutely nothing, if not made it worse. And so having the right information and asking a lot of questions will always, I used to get yelled for, uh, yelled at for asking questions, um, literally. And I would just proceed to do it because what you're doing right now and what we've been doing for the past few years, it's not working. So I'm going to start asking questions. Yeah. I started finding change. And so to kind of get back to where we are, um, I kind of found this Ben Patrick knees over toes guy. Yes. um, Yes my boy. And so, uh, in, in time I was, and so I retired after 2020, right. Where I was getting to, I retired after 2020 because before the prelim at the Olympic games, I blew out my knee. And so I, I didn't even think I was about to compete. And so what did I do instead? I was like, I'm, I'm going to destroy my knee. I've, I've worked all of my life to get here. I will, I will destroy my knee even further. And so I just started hammering drugs and I, there was, I didn't dive great. And I was, um, I still take the blame for that. But the part that sucked was I couldn't even get into a full squat. And then again, I had to chuck fr- front and inward every list, like with no warm up. So um, it, it just had these external factors. I still obviously like it was a phenomenal experience. I learned a lot. I know how to fix things now. And I've fixed a lot of knee issues, but there's also still some uh, technical and mental things that, um, that would change, which we can go over a little bit later. But um, so I retired and then I found the knees over toes training. I became one of their coaches to learn all the information myself. And then eventually I actually pulled out of it because if you're in the strength and conditioning realm, Mm -hmm. it's beautiful information. I love it, but it gets a little culty when you get deep into the the whole group. And I love it, but I felt like people were just replicating what Ben Patrick would say, and they wouldn't kind of morph and change the workouts to fit other, you know, specific sports. And so I ended up stepping away once I got the information that I really wanted and needed. Um, eight months later, I, I have zero knee pain, zero. Um, wow. I've, I've like more than quintupled the amount of reps, you name it. I, I can do fronts and inwards, as much as I want on platform, I can stomp the crap out of cement and be fine. Um, so it's just structurally changing the tendon was my issue. And then again, I can give you just a little touch of some of the knowledge that I've learned, but here's one of the massive issues with our strength coaches and our physical therapists. We are a barefoot sport, but yeah. no one trains the foot. No one trains your lower extremities. And so they can look at it look at your ankle, check your foot, your plantar flexion. Well, it looks great. Sweet. But is it strong? Is it fundamentally strong? And the answer is always no. Sure. You can do these very mediocre basic tests, but the answer for every diver from juniors, I I can grab almost every single Olympian and I can promise you their the base of their tree is a branch. It's not a tree trunk. It's psychotically weak. Um, One of the things that was 
fundamentally changing for my body was wearing barefoot shoes. I don't wear any Nike shoe. Sorry. I, I don't wear <laughs> any shoe with any sort of padding because it takes away so much of this consistent training. I can get 24 mm. seven um, taking off my shoe and stepping onto the platform used to literally send shocks through my shin. Uh, and now standing on cement, jumping on cement feels good. I like being barefoot. It feels phenomenal. That's one way to train your base. Right. And so it's like, what are these things that we can train ground up? Right. Because they'd go, well, let's look downstream. Let's look upstream upstream. Sure. There's usually a little bit of like imbalance with strength, but again, very easy to fix, very quick to fix the, the base, the foot, the downstream area. It takes a long time. Again, to chirp at these big companies, uh, the clothing suite. But like, again, you look at the shoe, your, our toes aren't supposed to be like this crunched. Right. So how are you uh, using, yeah. how are you using both balls of your feet? You, you're, right. not, you're not. And so you're not even already you're behind because you're not even punching off the platform properly. Your <laughs> ankle stability is worse. It's weaker. And so that you have all these issues. And so Again, another little piece I'll throw out there for people that are interested, you should be wearing toe spacers consistently because you take your toes from this to unnatural this to opening and spreading to having, it might look a little funky, get used to it. That's what your toes are supposed to look like. <laughs> and you're increasing the stability, the base and the strength of your tree trunk. Um, and so all these pieces, you start piling in all of these, you know, real training pieces for athletes. Again, like, at some point in the future, I'm going to write up a massive document to give to, you know, USA Diving of this is your base fundamentals. And this is what you need to give your, your kids when they first get in. Uh, the longer they can be doing these things, the longer they can be barefoot, you name it, whatever. Uh, it will take out uh, probably a third of, you know, like injuries within our sport. Because again, you look at you look at your feet. If you're consistently leaning forward, where's that center of gravity? You're leaned forward. You know, the weight's going to shoot up your shins, go to your lower back. You're, you're seeing all these inconsistencies that just a, a shoe can do. And you're not even training the foot yet. And so it's like, again, you have to look at all these pieces and factors. I know I'm getting way off track here. So No, I, no. I really like it. It's, it's yes. interesting to hear that. You know, I and I, I have done not a lot of research. I came across a video that was essentially ex explaining that same thing with your foot when you're and when you're um, spreading your toes out, the balance acquired, the structure acquired, the strength acquired. Like there's no bad essentially when you don't wear shoes. And what was really interesting and it just clicked in my head was you're exactly right when it comes to you know punching the platform if you do that every day, when you walk, like that's, that's just another, uh, that's just another thing you're going to do. Whereas me wearing shoes all the time, I get up on tower. I try a front approach. Like I will probably hurt myself. <laughs> yeah. 100%. It's, it's, it's kind of breaking it down to the single concept. If you don't use it, you'll lose it. Yeah. Yeah. And so if yeah. you never raise your arm above your head, are you going to have the flexibility to do it? Absolutely not. Your joint capsule is going to get all tight and you're not going to be able to get your arm above your head. And so For sure. you don't use, you know, the bottom of your feet, right? Then how are the bottom of your feet going to be strong? How are you going to have a really strong arch? You will not, you won't. And so you have a lot of doctors, which just, 
I think is based off of old information mm -hmm. and usually the textbooks, whatever are 10 to 15 years behind and they'll tell you to wear a thicker shoe. Mm -hmm. Great idea. That's just now using it even less. Like what, what are we doing here? Like, it just doesn't make sense. So then it's like, you have to really bring it back to the basics of if you do not use it, you'll lose it. And so that was yeah. kind of the big thing that I figured out with my knees. If I do not use my patellar tendon, if I do not properly load my patellar tendon, when I'm in a front approach and my knee is directly over my toe, what's going to happen? Weird. I think my knee might blow out like <laughs> it has for the past six years. And so all I did again is just build my base, load my patellar tendon six to eight months later, zero, zero pain. That's cool. That's crazy. Honestly, you like made me so excited when you started talking about knees over toes. Cause I've brought that to our strength and conditioning coach at times. I'm like, what do you think? Cause I love watching his stuff. And I'm like, there has to be something to that. And like, I listened to his big interview he did with Joe Rogan about pulling sleds. How that's like the most basic thing. And mm -hmm. I'm like, and our, our strength and conditioning guy, he even said, he's like, there's a lot to this. He's like a lot of strength and conditioning coaches will kind of be like, that's kind of out here. And we like to live here. And it's like, but that's like science is supposed to be always evolving, always improving. And sometimes we just get stuck in our, our way of like, this works. And it's like, but it doesn't work for everybody. And you're a perfect example of that. Yeah. Um, well, it's just that, again, it's the old information. If yeah. the strength coach wants to stay over here, then you should push them out and say, stay over there. Because <laughs> everything else, again, like you've looked at almost every single sport, I could say, mm -hmm. has some form of knee issues. Yeah. And then, so you look at the strength training. Well, why aren't we being able to fix that? Because that's a structural yeah. change that we should be able to make within strength training, but it hasn't changed in how many years. Yeah. And so you look at the, the pinnacle, it started from Charles Paulquin and then it went to Ben Patrick and then boom, you know, it got into the world. And so it's like, this isn't even, Oh, it's a little weird. No, no. Like this is how you fix knees. And so uh, any sport that is using your lower extremities, which is 99% of sports, you should be doing some form of, you know, like patellar loading, uh, you know, the, like loading the knee, loading the, the calves, loading, like just fundamentally looking at the lower extremities, again, the base and right. making it substantially stronger because we're all weak as crap down there. <laughs> that, that's awesome. So, um, you know, just follow up. So, I have to ask, cause I, you know, I saw a video, I think it was maybe two days ago of you maybe trying some, uh, spotted triple in stuff on the trampoline with Adam. And I saw one go really well. And I think I saw one that didn't go as well. <laughs> so is the future involve you training more competing? Like, what does that look like moving forward for you? Yeah. So we, um, I mean, as probably most of you guys saw Jordan Rezepka and I went <laughs> to nationals and completely died. But uh, <laughs> again, the, the point there was getting rust off. I've, I've only done a minute amount of reps for off 10 meter. And then we had probably a week and a half, half, two weeks of synchro training. But the point was to go into nationals and learn what do we do when we get nervous? It's a very young team. He's a, a very young diver. Yeah. So I, I mean, I told a bunch of people, this is like, yes, I don't care about the outcome here. It's like, wh what are we shooting for? Winning a summer nationals that means nothing or again, trying to win an Olympic medal. Um, I'd take the, you know, the other one. So <laughs> yeah. Um, yes, I'm, I'm looking at 
doing triple in. I've always done double in, but then again, my knees got so bad that I had to do back twists because I didn't have to do a front approach. And so I've always actually preferred twisting forwards. Um, twisting backwards was weird for me and I did not like it and still sometimes do not like it. And so um, the goal would be to do that synchro. And now that my knees are in a place to where I can do a lot of front approaches without falling apart, then yeah, now we can actually start playing the game of how big can we make this list and, you know, let's actually for once not do one front a week, let's do multiple and let's add triple in. Well, and it, it almost strikes me just one last thing before Aaron's next question. It, it all makes a lot of sense now in terms of you saying you're training the mental side all the time. You had to, you could only do one or two reps. Like if you weren't training the mental side, it probably would have been. And I bet you did have days where it's just like, can I even do this again? And so yeah. if you, if you weren't training the mental side, I, there's, I mean, I, you, you probably would still be where you're at because you're an amazing, amazing athlete, but it would have been a whole lot more of a bumpy road. Yeah. So, so that makes sense. It all like adds together now. For sure. Yeah. And I mean, again, the, the road is always bumpy. It's just how you deal with those peaks and valleys. And so you can think that you'll always be going towards the peak and it's going to be great. But as most people come to find out, you're usually in the valley and you, if you can make baseline enjoyable, you're, you're already ahead of most people. And so it's just learning to enjoy the ups and the downs and then not overvaluing the ups and the failures. Sure. Awesome. Bring those to about the same level. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I've noticed just over the years, you've had a few different synchro partners. My question here, is it easy to mix and match? Um, what are the similarities and like staples that, never change and what are some of the differences between either a personality or a timing thing that do change and what's that like uh kind of doing that yeah everyone i everyone's different everyone's very very different um i've done my one thing just speaking outside of that question a little bit like and this is for a lot of juniors the most impactful thing i've done every single time when i look back at my career is doing synchro because if you can learn from the person right, right next to you, um, I would always do synchro with someone that was significantly better than me. And so the goal would be to level that, be, become as good as they are, and then go past it. And so I've had a lot of synchro partners and I've, I've learned so much from every single one. And so that was kind of my goal mentally going into each one. But when it came to, you know, like consistent patterns from people, one thing I would always try to fall back on to was myself. What, what are things that I like within a synchro team that I can myself lead? So, so I would always love having, and again, everyone should think about this is like, if you're not at least friendly with the person, it's going to suck. It's going to be miserable. <laughs> Um, and so everything that I would try to do with, with my synchro partners and most of my synchro partners that I've had really, really good friends with them, every single one. And that was a goal of mine is if we weren't already friends is to become very good friends. Um, and so most of the people I've done synchro with outside of like steel and Badaya, like I, I had to meet steel and then become good friends with them, which I did. Um, and same thing with Badaya, like, even though Badaya was short lived, but like, Again, it was just learning to find, accommodate to someone and then for them to kind of match you in certain places. And so um, 
at least for the mental aspect of it, um, you want to at least start with being friends. Um, yeah, when it came to like technical things, you always had, you know, someone either, and this is where I, this is where it's important at least is when you're nervous, what do you fall back onto, right? And so technically when I get nervous, I tend to slow down everything, extend a little bit more. Um, I've had a lot of synchro partners do the opposite. And so uh, Jordan that I'm with, he tends to get very quick and snap in. And so I, we, again, we just learned that and we got to really see that at nationals. So now we have to figure out ways to level that. Uh, me and Dinsmore were a little bit that way. Um, Jordan and I, um, Jordan and I have, you know, those, those similar pieces of Dinsmore and I, so I can kind of connect those dots. Um, Steele and I kind of fell back on both kind of slowing down. So again, it's just kind of feeling out the situation in practice and then go learn, fail, come back and then go <laughs> succeed after, you know, and if you don't succeed, keep going. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's just like little things like that. You just have to find those little key pieces in everyone to kind of uh, level out. I mean, in my mind, that's how you do it is you level out and then you progress together. Cause like what, if you're on the platform and you're like pissing down your speedo, cause you're so afraid to be next to someone because you know, they're going to do something that you're not comfortable with yet. Like that has to be like completely weeded out in practice. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, that that was kind of like the big thing for for the physical part or like technical part was kind of like leveling out the 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 fears almost speaking sure um and then what other parts would i kind of bring up um the one last part it would kind of go back to the mentality part would be uh what do you like to do in between dives at competitions um some people love to talk and hang out um, and then some people love to just kind of crumble in and do their own thing. And so you have to kind of find what that partner likes and then you either find a happy medium or it kind of works with you. So Dinsmore and I would sit down and talk the entire time about <laughs> nothing. And it was phenomenal. And we'd be laughing all the way up the platform. Steele and I, we'd kind of sit next to each other, but we'd kind of chit chat. We'd talk all the way up to the 10 meter stairs. And then we'd get super serious. Um, ah. Uh, it was kind of the same thing with most of my partners. Like I would, I personally like to talk and they were fine with it, but if someone wanted to be quiet, then sure we can be quiet. But you know, again, it's just figuring out what that person needs and what you need. And then again, leveling up. So those are my little synchro tips there. Cool. That's, that's awesome. Um, you know, you've had a, a massive amount of international experience up to this point in your career you know, as you, I mean, and, and I feel sure this happens every day for you. It's like, hurry up and fail is what I feel like your life motto is right now. <laughs> but, uh, you know, what do you look at, you know, it, in particular, the Olympics, as you go back and evaluate and you had your other external factors that contributed, but what do you go back and look and say, this is where I can make my biggest improvement before the next international competition. When these guys see me again. Yeah. Um, if we're going to take out technique, cause everyone needs to get better at technique. Right. Um, if you're looking at a very large scaled international meet, let's say world championships, um, the Olympics mm -hmm. this is the part most people don't think about is you're there for a really, really long time. And so you're trying to peak for at the right precise moment. And so at the Olympics, for example, I was there for like 22 days. 
Oh my gosh. There for a long time. And so my one thing that I would fix is I got there, I chilled for a few days and then I started doing ops right off the bat. And so I was doing ops straight for like three weeks, three and a half weeks. And by the time I got to the competition, I was completely burnt out because I remember like specifically, I remembered after I got off my literal first list off 10 meter, I had some of the best dives I've ever done. I was like, I'm ready. To uh, and then I look back, I'm like, well, good thing I have two and a half weeks to go. So uh, one thing that I would have changed was actually how I addressed my competition schedule. Um, I would have actually, I wish I went in and actually just did skills and drills, maybe five meter leads for like two weeks. And then let's get on the 10 meter and hammer it out. And then I'll be fresh and ready for the competition. And so um, it, it's little, little stuff like that. Um, yeah. I thought my, my sleep schedule was good. I did a lot of good recovery stuff. I was doing some like Wim Hof breathing that, yeah. you, know, <laughs> so, um, you know, there's, there's some fun pieces I was playing with, but outside of that, that was kind of like my one big thing. I was like, I wish I was able to analyze that, but again, you have to go and fail before you even find that out. Yeah. Cause like, yep. I've been to, and like, yeah, I had some success. Like when Dins and I got the individual spots at world championships in Korea. Mm -hmm. Um, and I should have kind of really thought about this. Like we both got the spots, but we were dead in the final. Like I remember him and I going like, I literally came and feel my legs. Like I'm so tired. I'm, I feel like I'm chucking dives cold. It was, mm -hmm. it was really bad. And we were there for like 18, 19 days. And so like, I look back at it again, I was like, well, I wish I kind of, you know, retrospectively looked at that situation and went, oh, you know, I was doing way too much. And like kind of overthinking. And so you're, you know, your whole nervous system, you're just like freaking out for 18 days straight instead of kind of like really taking it slow, then ramping it up. And so that'd be one thing I'd change. That's awesome. Cool. Awesome. Love it. So what type of training days do you look forward to most? Is it working on drills? Is it working on vols? Is it working on optionals? You know, sometimes we'll have practices here where it's like, all right, I want you to only work on your weakness areas or only work on your strengths. Where, where are you at? What's your favorite most look forward to practice? Yeah, I don't, it, that's, it's a, it's a good question, but it's also a hard question in the aspect of like, again, my goal, especially like once I got, deeper into the sport uh and kids will recognize this if they listen to this and kind of really look at diving is again this is just a game and so if you're walking the practice and you're miserable and you hate it that might be a sign to either you need to change perspective sport or the people you're around and so um for me the goal is to enjoy every single practice every single one um Man. And if I'm not enjoying it, then I, I, I literally will journal. Journaling is a big thing for me. I'll journal what is going on here. Um, if I'm not my best practices, uh, I'm literally laughing, having fun and making jokes. Um, I am not the type of, and for some people, if you're super serious, punching walls, that's great. And if that works for you, ride that wave. But for me, like I am, I feel like for most people, um, that doesn't really work. Um, and so I mean, I, I like doing it. Yes. Optionals are scary as crap sometimes, but also they're super rewarding and super fun. Um, and it, the same thing goes for lineup drills. Um, kind of feels good to, you know, rip the silly out of a lineup drill and come out and be like, okay, like 
I can do that. Sweet. <laughs> so no, the, the goal is to enjoy all of them. I know it's kind of like a really basic, you know, bland answer, but no, not, not at all. Honestly, it's like the perfect answer. I, Heath and I always have a text chat. Going, <laughs> I was just getting ready to say this while we do this episode. And I'm like, this guy has a perfect answer for everything. Like everything you've said to this point, I'm like, dang, man, he, he's on his a game, man. This is impressive. Uh, my, my response to Aaron was this man is my spirit animal for sports. <laughs> like, like, I was just getting ready to say the same thing. Like uh, what, what I, my, literally my response to you is like, I like, you're the perfect teammate. Like that's how my brain instantly thinks like you, you are the perfect teammate. You're the person that like we've interviewed a lot of people. This is our 69th episode. This is the, not the first, but this is the podcast. I will go to my college team meeting tomorrow and I'll say, you are all listening to this. Like (laughs) it, like this is like, it's just all gold. Like it's amazing. So uh, it was, it was a perfect answer. It, it took um, a lot of it took a lot of learning to, yeah. to get to certain perspectives like that. So yeah, it's a I feel sure a lot of learning, a lot of maturing, and it's like, like you said, there's a lot of bumps on the road, but you you just it's spot on, and it's it's just great, um, just great awareness of like what what you need to be successful, and and it's it's very much as applicable to every athlete I can think of. Um, so so kind of staying on that same topic, you know what would you say to a young diver who is aspiring to be great, who is watching you and saying, all right, my pipe dream is going to the Olympics. Like, what would you say to them? Love the sport. I like it. And, and I, I remember making a cheesy post about this and maybe a lot of my answers might seem cheesy, but you get towards the end of your career and you start noticing those cheesy things again, like enjoying I've got two years left in this career. If I don't enjoy every practice, I'm getting out. I'm done. Like, especially like I I hit the pipe dream. Yeah. I didn't compete as well as I wanted, but I hit the pipe dream. So what's pushing you? It has to be the love of the sport. And at some point, at some fundamental point, you, even if you haven't gotten the the dream or the pipe dream, what's going to push you to that point? Cause there's going to be really hard times in any sport. So it, it baseline for everything, you have to love the sport. Like what if you have patellar tendonitis for six years? What, what's going to push you? Insecurity? Yeah. Nope. It's not going to do it. it you're going to have to enjoy what you do enough to push through, you know, all of the mud, all of the crap. And so uh, I would always tell a diver, any young diver, I love the pipe dream. It's great. But also remember, this is a game. Yeah. This is just a game. And yeah. If this is ruining your life, then maybe it's not the, the best game for you. And so if you really love this sport, it'll take you a long way. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. <clears throat> so my next question here is outside of diving, what are you passionate about? Uh, and you can't include being a professional public speaker because uh, <laughs> we all know that that is, if what, if whatever you do in the future, that doesn't work, you got, you got, you know, motivational speaker written all over you, man. I'll, I'll keep it in mind. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, outside passions. Um, I obviously haven't been able to do it as much, but um, I love backpacking. Um, super, cool. super fun. It's just like always humbling seeing just like, I, I don't, this might be weird, but like, I love to suffer. It might sound really weird, but like I, the, when I was driving home from Purdue, when I was retired, um, I went on this like 
this back, it was kind of a short backpacking trip. It was a uh, 13 miles round trip, but the six and a half up was like, you gain like close to 9,000 feet in elevation. Nice. And I just like that, like the, the, the crap, the, the bad part of just going up and struggling what like was so enjoyable. Like I, and that's why I like, again, for, for diving, like I love the hard parts. I've, I've always loved strength training. And then like, I almost love practices more than the competition because like, again, I love just training and getting better. And so like backpacking kind of like replicated that, right? Cause you die going all the way up to the summit. Then you get to the summit and you can enjoy, you sit down and you're like, what a view. And like, obviously not to be cheesy again, but you could do the same thing with your diving career, you know, and people get mad that maybe they didn't get their goal, but like turn around and look at the path you just yeah. went on. That doesn't look nuts to you. Like you look at most people and they're not even close to what you've done athletically. So it's like, backpacking unbelievable um i love doing like photography while i'm doing that and just in general um yeah i mean i was doing videography too at the same time but yeah it's just kind of like backpacking being outside i'm obsessed with rock climbing and so um that's like my once i'm done diving uh, for like while i was home for like five plus months i was just i turned rock climbing into the new diving for me so i was training like three, four times a week with strength training sprinkled within that four, four climbing. And so, um, I try to do it on the weekends still. It's a really good, like cross training sport for diving. Cause you know, we, we push so much that it's good to pull. And so it's kind of strengthens your fingers. I don't have to do any like wrist strengthening anymore because my hands and forearms are strong. And so I, I have pipe dreams for climbing, for example. Yeah. So, um, no, that's, that's awesome. I mean, so I got to get you out to, I'm, I don't know, maybe you've already been there. Big Sky, Montana. My aunt lives, works out there. Mm. We hike the summit, hike the peak every time I go out there. And it's, it's only, a, I believe from the base um, to the top, it's probably only 4,000 vertical, but you're exactly right. The first, I would say the first thousand feet of elevation, of a elevation change, you're really struggling. And then you get above the tree level and you're like, okay, I can see the top. It's going to take me a few hours to get there, (laughs) but this is going to be awesome when we get there. So yeah, that that's, that's cool, man. I love hearing that. Yeah. It's, it's a good time. And uh, honestly, like the places backpacking can take you is just bamboozling. So, I mean, to try to make that a summer trip is like the goal. That's awesome. That's awesome. So uh, we have Netflix show to recommend, but it can be Netflix, HBO Max. <laughs> just pick a show you would recommend to someone or just a show you enjoy watching. Oh boy. I feel like I haven't been watching shows right now. <laughs> Four, 14 Peaks for all you uh, yes, climbers. That's a good one. <laughs> that one's sweet. Um, actually, I mean, there are a, a lot of really good like climbing documentaries out there, Yes, um, especially on Netflix. Um, they just had a recent one on uh, Mark St uh look yeah yeah um, I'm, I'm lagging on the name right now but um if you guys... uh, the the alpinist alpinist, alpinist. yes unbelievable if you that was probably that, that, that i agree best documentary i've probably ever seen it was incredible yeah i will i will throw it out there too um the the documentary on um alex honnold too <gasps> yes free, free, free solo, solo. Free solo. Um, Dude. That one, if you were to just be comparing it to diving 
uh, like the mental training for it. And even like some of the physical training, like really connects like crazy. Um, and so like, if someone wanted to watch something that would inspire them, like, look how much this man journals about every single yeah. you don't. Think oh you yeah. Have, you don't think you can do that for a dive. Yep. And so it's like, how do you feel in a competition walking up to the platform? How's the rough text feel on your feet? How's, how's the nerves feel or how the nerves spike when you hear people cheering for you? You know, when the belt, like when they blow the whistle, like there's a lot of really good things that you could connect within that. Obviously you're not going to die if you miss a dive, like if he misses a hole, but you know, the concept's still there. So another great documentary. I, I, I still, I think I actually told Aaron this. I still remember watching that that documentary free solo at my old house it, i started it at midnight i just randomly bought it i'm like oh, i heard this is good and i was up for two hours and my hands were sweating yeah. the whole time and i'm like oh my like so for anyone who hasn't watched it find it go watch it it's amazing amazing, amazing. yeah yeah agree um okay so our signature questions here we go um We've talked a lot about failure already on this podcast, not, not about being a bad thing, more of an opportunity for growth, opportunity to get better. So if you had to pick one, your favorite failure of all time, what would that be? I mean, I just we'll take out the NCAA one and I can yeah. throw a million in your face. right <laughs> now. Uh, Another really important one for me, because there's about three that were just like unbelievable. And I can give you the next two, but yep. The next one after that was the first time I made it to uh, an international competition, World Cup in Wuhan, um, individually. And I completely crumbled because all I did was I, I listened and I watched all of these other, other divers. And so I'd hear them hit a dive and I was like, I, I have to hit, I have to, I'm not good enough. Oh my gosh. And so again, I learned a very powerful message. I, I think I got 11th at that meet. I completely like just, I felt, I missed my, I missed like almost everything. And it was just because I was so in my head about what everyone else was doing instead of again, internally looking in what, what do I need to do to be consistent? And then I can, I can potentially hit in that scenario. And so um, I was actually telling some of our, our young divers that just went to world championships. Um, this lesson is you will hear people destroy dives on an unprecedented level, like comparative to where you've been. Like these divers are insane. They're insane, but so are you. Yeah. So like you really have to, and this goes, this trickles down all the way into juniors too, you name it. Um, you have to know that they're going to hit, but you also have to know that they can miss. And so again, walk into the meet, knowing what you can do and focusing as much as you can, because again, if you can expect to hear them hit, at least, you know, that's good, that those wave of emotions are going to come. Um, and that was the one thing I did not expect was I, I was sitting there and I was listening to people like nine and a half and tens after each one. I was just like, I like, I don't know what to do. And I was, I was so caught up with what they were doing. I wasn't even focusing on my own dives. And so just, <laughs> Just, just take a moment to appreciate that Brandon just said, I did absolutely horrible. And I got 11th at a world. <laughs> like, like, I'm sitting here laughing. I'm like, he's like, I missed every dive and I got 11th. And I'm like, man, I could have hit every dive and I wouldn't have made the meat. <laughs> like, it's relative. It's relative. Yes. But that's why you get better because yes. you can take that moment and be like, I, I gotta be like, 
that's that's great awesome yeah. thank you and then the next one the one that probably hurt the most um out of all of those was when dins and i didn't get the olympic spot because not only was that unbelievably embarrassing uh it was super super sad to see what we could have easily gotten within our hands but again due to both of us having huge injuries not not being able to train enough like we kind of just fell apart in that moment and so that was kind of the biggest catalyst for me going towards the olympics especially now that i was like there's only individual and so i really had to again look back at what are what is my my base here like what can i change and what can i fix uh, i remember calling my girlfriend and just being like it everything's about to change and you're about like when i get back i, I it's going to be a completely different diver like you name it i'm i'm going to be completely different and so i i remember just journaling out a complete roadmap of what i was about to do and then I called, you know, I called my coach and we kind of went over the steps that I had to make if I was going to be able to make the Olympic team. And so from that moment on, I was going to sports side consistently. I was journaling every single time I was on 10 meter. Like, what, what am I doing here? I even remember, it's kind of cheesy, but it's important. I still have the journal. I remember after that day, um, fully committing to what I was doing. I remember it was like May 10th, I wrote, today's the first day I become an Olympian. And that's when I fully committed to the process of each piece. And again, it's like, what can I do in these valleys that can get me towards the peak? And so that was probably one of the lowest lows I've ever been at. But instead of sitting there and groveling, I I had, I, I only saw the one opportunity. I was like, this is it. If you do not take this again with with the limitations that I had, I was like, you're, you're done. And so use that to get back to work and we're able to get there. So that was awesome. That was the one that hurt the most, but it helped the most. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right. So my next question here, I always ask whatever Avenue you come from, how can they improve, uh, for you? I suppose there's, there's kind of two main ones, USA diving, NCAA diving. You can go either route on that we just truly feel like there's always room for improvement. Um, most recently I would say is probably the NCAA. What would you say, you know, NCAA could do to improve in the diving world? Mm, it's very open-ended and it's very broad. Sure. And I apologize for that. But no, we, we had, some pretty, had some pretty, had some pretty good answers. Um, I think it, it goes to the NCAA, but it also goes to international diving goes to the entire community, actually the whole base. Um, Diving is an awesome sport, but it's so boring. It's so incredibly boring. Um, and so I had a few ideas and I've always played with these ideas on how, how can we make it more exciting? And some people might not like these suggestions, but I think it's, it would be the best ways to bring more people. And then obviously bring more revenue. We could make it more exciting. For example, like gymnastics for a good amount of time was pretty boring, but if you watch their Olympic trials versus ours, oh my God, like that was, it was insane. It was, it was so fun. Um, so I think you should be able to gamble on diving. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. I, I love I it. You should be able to like, uh, we've uh, this, I remember making this a long time ago with, 
um, a lot of divers at nationals was fantasy diving. You would make out your list and that'd be a phenomenal way to gamble. You bring in more people, you could bring in more money and it'd be way more exciting to watch it. I also think you should be able to drink at our diving meets because you have a bunch of parents that are bored out of their mind and no one wants to come to these diving meets. Sure, it's, it doesn't sound pretty, but again, uh, what's not pretty is having six people in the stands. And so uh, this is the NCAA, this is the uh, USA Diving International. I, I think it would make it substantially more fun and more interesting to watch. I mean, look at, sure, like MMA is not a phenomenal example to compare to, but like, look at their athletes, look how much they're getting paid. Like you, you win a match, you get paid 50 grand. I, I win a match, I get a slap on the ass and say, we'll see you later. Like it's, <laughs> you know, it's, it. so we, I, in my eyes, it's like, you have to bring the enjoyment that we feel and see to people yeah. that don't see it. Yeah. And so I think gambling would be a fun way. Like, I, I might not understand it, but like, I think, uh, you know, I think David Badaya is going to hit this back twist. I think Chubo is going to hit this gainer and Mexico is going to get hit their 409. Let's see what happens. <laughs> that that you know, sounds awesome. so fun. Like, it sounds fun. It sounds Even to so people that fun. don't understand it, you could just click A, B, and C, and we'll see what happens. The next thing you know, you've got, instead of 14 people in the stands, you might have 60, and that it, might be a good start. You'll get well, some just, rowdy it, ones, too. Well, That'd be awesome. To, to your point, it, it gives you something to root for if you have no idea what you're watching. And I, I, I love watching the PGA tour. Scotty Scheffler just unfortunately kind of collapsed in the <laughs> tour championship today. And he's my guy. I love Scotty Scheffler. Good for Rory for winning. But at one point, Rory was like seven strokes back to begin the day. His odds of winning were minuscule. There was no chance. But if somehow you believed in Rory and you wanted to bet on Rory, like how excited are you right now? And how glued to your TV would you have been? Yeah. Awesome. Love that. Yeah. That's all. I love it. All right. So favorite drill, this can be dry land, water, whatever, wherever you want to take it, your favorite drill to do. Mm, That's a good one. Um, I, I feel like there's kind of a few and like, I hated them at the start, but like, uh, back jumps off 10 meter. I do them for like direction, but like I hated it at the start because it's terrifying, but then you like start to kind of enjoy, you know, that like floating feeling. <laughs> and we usually like, when we do that drill, like the goal is to touch the platform mm-hmm. because then you know you're in like a good distance. Mm-hmm. So you kind of turn it into a game and then it's kind of fun just on the way down. So literally a, a back jumps, one of my favorites. And then, um, I, I do, I've always enjoyed just doing like a 405 on five meter, just kind of like a nice, nice, like lead up slash drill for, for inward on 10. And that was always just like kind of a fun one. You could just crank like crazy. So back jumping inward. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. Best advice you have either given or received. Mm-hmm. Okay. We're going to get deep again on this one. Um, I, w- I used to just cause it's fun to talk about, um, you used to say Olympic trials to me and my hands would start shaking mm-hmm. and I would start getting all freaky and hyperventilating a little bit. And so my sports psych kind of brought to me the, the idea, cause obviously I thought overvaluing this, this one outcome, this one, this one game, this one match was the end all be all. 
And so you have, you have a better tendency to compete better relaxed. And mm -hmm. so if you can let go of the control, because you really, the only thing you can control is your mind, the outcomes, God knows, right? It's, it's solely an unknown uh, outcome there. And so if you're trying to hold on to nothing, you're going to stress out and freak out. And so the best advice that I was given was just completely letting go of controlled outcomes and it relaxes you, you enjoy it, you have way more fun. And then, you know, you can do what you love without, you know, freaking out on the back end. <laughs> so yeah. um, the only thing you can control is yourself. And so yeah. that was kind of like a big thing for me is to like cool down. Yeah, absolutely. And then, and then uh, my last question for you is who would you like to hear us interview next? We will, we, I promise we will try to reach out to them. Aaron went through a big list this week and was reaching out. So we will reach out to them. Anybody you can think of. Oh, have you gotten any international divers from uh, like what countries haven't you hit? We have you have... gotten any divers from China? No, that's, that's probably the big one that we have. We got Melissa Wu from Australia, Yona. Um, who else, Aaron? Is that a, we, we interviewed Steve Foley. Yep. Uh, Steve, what a guy. <laughs> yes. I, I think that might even be it. I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Mia, Mia Valet from yep, Canada, Mia but she's Miami. Yep. So, but yeah, so Curtis Matthews. Yep. Curtis. There's so many good options out there. <laughs> um, it would be interesting if you could kind of ask questions. Cause again, you could kind of dig at China and right. wrong. do they do have a really strong, uh, mental side of it. And so, I know uh, Jian Yang, uh, he speaks English. I've spoken to him plenty of times. If you could get in, I know Timo Barthel is connected to him. So if you could talk to Timo, you could probably okay. talk to him. So, um, I mean, I can help you get connected too, but those would be interesting. Those would be really interesting uh, interviews. Even Timo himself. like Timo uh, would be great. Uh, Patrick Housding, uh, yep. an idol yep. of mine, is unbelievable, super nice guy. Um, those would be super interesting just because the reason why I, I shoot out Germany is if you watch all of their, like their drills, their basics, their mechanics, they're kind of different from most people's. Mm -hmm. Yes, they are. They're like tramp drills and stuff. And so, you know, kind of digging there would be super interesting. I, ha I have a video that I share all the time with my divers of Timo doing reverse one and a half, two and a half, three and a half, all in a row on three. Mm -hmm. And you can see the the takeoff and the connection are the same yeah. on every single one of them yeah. he just holds on an extra flip and it's like how it, it's impressive to me that nothing changes from those basics to those really hard ones and you can see every little step and it's like wow this is just really really fun to watch yeah and even if you I mean, Timo is such a good example of maybe like mental strength too, because this man's doing back one half straight off 10 meter gainer one half tuck. Like, <laughs> what are we doing? Like, I watched, <laughs> not even a million years would I be talking some of that stuff. So, you know, he, he would honestly, he'd be a very, very interesting person to interview. And so it, it, uh, it makes me think of, um, Lyle and Jacob Seiler told us, they both told us about this game, Ohio state plays called follow the monkey. It's oh, like, cool. no, no one's picking Timo to be the monkey. Cause they're going to, I like, they're all going to die. Yeah. Uh, straight up. Um, yeah. So we will, we will definitely be reaching out to those people. Um, so before we go, um, 
camps and clinics kind of have run their course for this summer session here. There will be some fall clinics. So keep your eyes peeled. If coaches send that to us, we'll happily share them. Um, all you have to do is send us a graphic. We'll put it up. We'll share it. Um, the big one is the 2028 and beyond skills coach and athlete camp down in Moultrie, Georgia, September 23rd through the 25th. Um, we will have Drew Johansson there. And the new addition was Andrew Capobianco. Um, so please, please be able to make it down there. Aaron and I will both be down there and uh, it's going to be an awesome, awesome time. Um, and before Aaron sends us out, Brandon, this was one of my favorite interviews, if not the top one. I'm sorry for anybody else who we've ever interviewed, but this one, uh, th this was just a great interview. It was awesome to finally meet you. Um, thank you for taking the time to meet with us. This was amazing. Yeah, it was a great time. Feel free to chirp at me again. We can go around too. <laughs> for sure. And then another one I wanted to mention was that symposium, uh, I believe October 8th and 9th. Uh, professional diving coaches of America are putting that on uh, hit up Cliff DeVries. He's got a whole lot more information there. It looks like a great virtual event, uh, two day event, whole bunch of amazing presenters are involved with that. So I just wanted to give them some love. Uh, they put us on their email blast. So it, it only feels right to kind of uh, reciprocate the favor there. So appreciate everything those guys are doing and make sure you support them. Um, and then us too, we're at, uh, on Instagram, we're at the diving pod, our email, the diving pod at gmail.com. Feel free to reach out with questions. Uh, we do have t-shirts and hoodies for sale, divingpod.itemorder.com. Enter dive pod at checkout, free shipping. Uh, once again, Brandon, thank you so much for joining us. It was a true pleasure, really fun to uh, pick the brain of yet another Olympian and uh, well-spoken. It was very, very enjoyable. So I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Well, we'll see you next time.